Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Jeremiah 23, we're talking about our complete redemption. There are nine names spoken of about God in the Old Testament, seven of which are redemptive. Meaning that when Jesus came to redeem us, he fulfilled those. He provided a way for us to walk in the reality of those seven attributes of our God. That all relates to us. Redemption was for us. When he redeemed us, what did he do? He put us in a new position. We were under the influence of this world. And actually the Bible tells us very clearly that Satan was the God of our life. Because of the sin that we obviously were all affected by. But thank God when I got redeemed and you got redeemed, guess what? New position. We've been now placed in the family of God. We've been now made children of God, sons and daughters of God if we walk with him. And we have, therefore, the right to walk in this redemption that Jesus provided. So we've covered already uh, five of these seven names. The first five we've already covered in relationship to what is a redemptive work of Jesus, Jehovah Jireh. And Jireh means what? A God who sees. A lot of people say, the Lord our provider. Well, the actual word Jireh doesn't mean provider. It's in a position to where he saw Abraham in need of a sacrifice. And therefore, obviously providing the ram for the sacrifice, Abraham said, in that place, I call my God Jehovah Jireh or the Lord who sees. He sees what I have need of. He knows what I have need of. And he provides it. Aren't you glad? Number two, we talked about the second name, which is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. There's nothing better to walk through this life with than knowing I have the peace of God on my life. And we talked about how that's fulfilled in Christ and how you and I can walk in that experience every day. Number three, he's also known as Jehovah Nisi, which is the banner or standard of our victory. And we talked about details about that, even as it relates to, as we watched last night, one of John Wayne's most famous movies, uh, you know, of a military movie where they would hold that banner up Uh, what they called a standard, it meant I represent the authority of whatever nation they're fighting for, people they're fighting for, etc. And I'm backed by them. How many know as a New Testament believer, we are now walking under the authority of our God and we're backed by Him. Amen? All because of our redemption. Number four, the fourth one we talked about, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. I like the way the actual Hebrew says it, our physician. Say, I have a physician. His name is Jesus. And clearly, he wants us to understand and walk in the health and healing that he has for our life. Amen? That he died and purchased and paid for. Then, last Sunday, we talked about Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd, Psalm 23. He has come to shepherd us, but he is going to do so in this time of our life through what? Through shepherds he's gifted. Ephesians chapter 4. He's the one who gave these fivefold ministry gifts to the body. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. The word pastor means shepherd. And he's going to shepherd us through that shepherd. Amen? I'm not trying to take Jesus' place. I'm trying to lead you to him. Trying to help you walk with him. Amen? But there's very clear truth about this in the Old and New Testament. That for us to experience... I remember the eight benefits there in Psalm 23. To get those eight benefits working in your life, you need to be shepherded. There's no place, even as I said last week, for elders like myself. People in the body of Christ to be without a leader. The reason we have so many problems in non-denominational churches is because we have people in those pulpits who have no leadership. They have no pastor over them. So realize that this is true for all of us, that we have a gift from God to have a shepherd in our life. Aren't you glad? So the next one we're going to talk about is found here in Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. If you don't know Jeremiah's day, isn't it true like a lot of this Old Testament, sadly? It was a really rebellious time. In this case, in Judah's history, Jeremiah was a prophet who spoke consistently to the uh, tribe of Judah in their day and dealt with the aspects of what was wrong in their life. But he talks about here in Jeremiah 23 about this branch of righteousness that's going to come. This Savior, this Jesus, this Deliverer who's going to come and make us right with God once again. And in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, we pick it up here. He said, Behold, the days are coming. Say they've come. 
The days are coming prophetically here in this time frame of their life, says the Lord, that notice this, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Now, pause for a minute. Remember, I've told you this. In the New Testament, how do we know in the Gospels when somebody came up and talked to Jesus, they knew he was the Son of God? How do we know? <clears throat> Son of David. He has this, quote-unquote, as it says here, he is this very one who would be raised up to David, known as the Son of David. So if they knew that this was truly the Messiah, they acknowledged it by calling him Son of David. So again, I will raise to David a branch of what? Underline that, please. Notice the word branch is capitalized. There were no, as I've said, punctuations in the original uh, Hebrew or Greek, New Testament, Old Testament. But it's proper here because you're going to see it's referring to Jesus. So this is going to refer to him being a branch of righteousness. A king, talking about Jesus again, shall reign and prosper. Now he didn't do that for him. He didn't need to reign and prosper, right? He's the son of God. But he came to do it for us to be able to do so. You're going to see that today. Read it again. A king shall what? Reign and prosper. Why? So you can. So that you can reign and prosper. And he will execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. That's his part, not our part. He's going to bring about judgment in the context of a future time. I mean, you know, that's coming. But obviously not here yet. Thank God we're under grace. Amen. But there is a time of judgment to come to this earth. Verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved. Because he's dealing with the tribe of Judah here. So obviously others will too. But he's referencing the actual time frame of who he's talking about. And that's Judah. In his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell what? Safely. Notice this. Now, now watch this. Now this is his name by which he will be called. Highlight, underline it. Put circles around it. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. <clears throat> the Hebrew... This is the sixth of the seven names that refer to our redemption. The Hebrew is Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu, based off of the Hebrew language of what was written there. I'll spell it for you because it's a little unusual. It's T-S, if you're writing it down, T-S-I-D-K-E-N-K-E-N-U. T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U. You, But the part you want to know was it means what? The Lord, our righteousness. Say it. The Lord, our righteousness. Now, most of you know this. We're going to see a couple verses on it. These are not detailed teachings on each one of these. This is going over our complete redemption. You could turn around and make a series out of every one of these names that we're talking about. But understand the significance of that statement. He is going to be known as the Lord, our righteousness. You're not righteous because of anything you did. <clears throat> you got that? You're not righteous because of anything you did. You're righteous because of what he did. Now that's significant. I'm going to keep saying this all through this morning's message. I want you to get this. The moment that you received Christ, you received his redemptive work. You changed positions. Part of that was you've now been put in right standing with God. Sin separates you from God. Because of sin, you can't live in Right standing with God. Because God has no sin in him, he cannot have anything to do with sin. You're going to be glad about that when you get to heaven. He's a holy God. There'll be no evil. There'll be no sin in heaven. But understand this. Because of that sin nature from Adam's fall that got passed to all humanity, once we've sinned and come to the knowledge of that sin, we were no longer right with God. We were separated from him. But guess what Jesus did? He made us right with God once again. Now here's what I want you to understand. You and I didn't earn that. There's nothing you could do to earn that. If you did earn it on your own, you didn't need Jesus. Now, I want you to, this is the statement I want you to get. Because you have right standing with God, listen to me, you have a right to all that God has promised through Jesus Christ. You need to get that. And even though you don't, may know that in your head, a lot of Christians aren't walking the reality of it. I want you to get that. I have a right to all that Jesus purchased for me. Why? Because I'm now right with God. But back up a minute. I have a right to, Pastor. I have a right to all that he purchased for me because I'm right with God. Yes. Next question. How did you get right with God? Not because of what I did, because of what he did. What he did gave you a right to. You understand that the aspect of this is powerful when you understand it. Because one of the number one things, like Romans talks about in chapter 12, there's an accuser of the brethren, right? Satan. 
The number one thing Satan accuses of is, you don't have a right to that. Right. Look what you did. You don't have a right to that. Now, if it was based on me being able to get what God promised because of what I have or haven't done, I wouldn't have needed Jesus. The only reason that I have a right to anything, the only reason you have a right to anything and everything God promised is because of what Jesus did. A lot of Christians don't know this. And so because of this, they start basing what they do as an evaluation of whether they feel like they have a right to what God has already provided through Christ. But there's nothing that God has promised you that you're going to get based on what you've done. It's totally based on what he did. Now, the deal is we got to develop some faith in that. And that's where a lot of people lack understanding, both of that truth as well as a faith in understanding how to walk that out. So the word righteousness here, I want you to get this, means to have complete, complete right standing with God. Not partial. You don't have a partial right standing with God and you're going to get the rest when you get to heaven because you're not a body. You're not a soul. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you have a body. Your body's your earth suit. It's just what gives you, it's a vehicle to get you around in this earth while you're here. Because the spirit man leaves that body, he's going somewhere. So all that earth suit does, it's like an astronaut goes to the moon, he got to have what? A space suit. Or he's not going to survive up there in space. A similar sense. And so to you and me, we understand when our body leaves this, excuse me, our spirit leaves this body, this body ceases to function. So you got to understand this. It ain't based on what I have or haven't done. Sorry for the word ain't, little Texas language. It ain't based on what I have or haven't done. It isn't. Sorry for you. It's not what I have or haven't done that determines whether I get what I have a right to. It's what he did and do I have enough faith in what he did to get it. Now, when I say to have enough faith to understand it is what I mean. All of you are given a measure of faith. Just a lot of people don't understand that. So this accuser of the brethren comes along. He says, you don't deserve that. Look how you did that. Look what you did there. Oh, look what you said there. Look how you did that. None of that has a decision factor upon whether I have a right to what God says is mine. Your inheritance is yours by birth, and that was because you got born again. Now, if you don't believe that, and some people still struggle with that because you get these two sides, you know. Some people think we just get everything we want by doing anything we want. doesn't matter how we live. Well, you're going to condemn yourself. You're going to hurt your faith. The Bible says so. You're going to hurt some aspect of your faith if you're living in willful sin, which ain't good. And the Bible tells you clearly that you're going to have a problem really putting your faith in God. It's not because you don't have the ability to get it and access it, but 1 John tells you that. But the other side of the ditch is, you know, oh, i got to be perfect and live just right or I can't get anything from God. That's a lie, too, because you already have a right to your inheritance. God is not sitting up in, he- up in heaven with the door closed to your spiritual inheritance saying you can't have it until you prove you, ear- you earned it. Then you wouldn't have needed Jesus. Now, what's the proof of that, Pastor? Think about all the people that got ministered to, healed, delivered during Jesus' ministry. Not a one of them was a born-again child of God. They were all sinners. They were still living under the sin nature. But guess what? Simply because they believed in what Jesus said, I'll free you, I'll heal you, I'll deliver you. Because they believed what he said, guess what? They got it. So what do we got to do now? We got to believe what he said about our righteousness. I said we got to believe what he said about our righteousness. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go over the New Testament. So the word righteousness, again, the definition means to have complete right standing. Complete right standing with God. You don't have partial right standing with God. You have complete right standing with God. You know, there's people believe in their mind, I'm not going to get total right standing with God until I get to heaven. Wrong. No, you've already been given, you're going to see it in a minute, what's known as a gift of righteousness. What's great about God, he's not like people. Aren't you glad? Tell your neighbor, I'm glad my God ain't like people. You know, there's people that might give you a gift and then want it back. (laughs) Then it really wasn't a gift to begin with. I I tell you parents this all the time when Christmas time comes around. Don't tell your kids, you want gifts, don't you? Yeah, then you better be good. That ain't a gift. Some of you get that after lunchtime today. It's not a gift. They're earning it. If If it's based on they have to have a certain form of conduct... To get something at Christmas, then don't, you might think that's literally splitting hairs, but you're training already into your children that you have to earn a gift. You're already teaching them that. See, this is what bugs me as a pastor. When we get into the basics of what Scripture says is spiritual law and how this stuff works, 
and you start teaching it, people think you're getting too close to splitting hairs and that's it. No, listen, let me help you. If, you. if you think that's not significant as to how God causes things to operate, I have a question. Do you think we could send all of our kids up on the roof and say, you all just jump off, you know, let's see if the law of gravity still works or not. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. No, it's going to work. And they're all going to hit the ground. You know why? Because those laws work all the time. Spiritual laws work all the time, folks. And if you don't get in your heart and instilled in your kids, you don't earn a gift. Or it's not a gift. You earned it. It was, it was literally you getting something of wages for what you did. Now, kids, if you want to get wages at Christmas time, rewarded for what you're doing, fine. But when you call it a gift, when you say, I'm going to give you a gift, if you're good, it's not a gift. I'm going to say it again. When you say, I'm going to give you a gift if you're good, it's not a gift. Because the gifts that God has for you ain't based on whether you're good or not. It's based on what God did. I like a better amen than that. So understand, right standing gave you a right to your inheritance. If you don't believe that as well, what about the prodigal son? Did, did he prove he had a right to get his inheritance? No. You know why he got it? You know why the, And what did he do with it? He wasted it. He wasted it away, but when he came back home and repented for what he did, didn't the father say, you're still my son? Yes. Yeah, you still have an inheritance? So even when you miss it, God says, guess what? Still means you still have an inheritance. Praise the Lord. God's resources are unending. That don't mean go live wastefully because it'll hurt your life. And what if he didn't come home? Right? Things would have really turned out bad for him. But understand this. When the prodigal said, give to me my inheritance, did the father say, well, you haven't proved to me that you deserve it yet? No, you're my son. All you got to do is what? Ask. And it's yours. Remember the other, everybody focuses on the prodigal in that story. I like to focus on the second son. Because they both did the same thing. You know, the other, the first son, when he actually came home, did not feel that he was worthy to even be considered a son anymore. Remember that? I don't think I'm even worthy to be considered your son. What did the dad say? You're always my son. So see, the first one had an issue of worth because he's basing his worth on what he did. Well, so did the second one. They both did the same thing. They just did it in opposite ways. So the first son came back just totally, you know, hoping at least I could be your servant. Can't be your son anymore. I've wasted all this, done all this bad stuff, da, 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 da. No, you're still my son. Thank God you came home. Thank God you were smart enough to come home and get things right. But then the other son who was out working the field that day comes home, remember, and he hears this party going on. And he gets upset when he finds out that dad threw a party for the son that came home. Are you kidding me? I've been here laboring all this time and you threw a party for the guy? I'm going to tell you what he was doing. Then he goes and his dad goes out and talks to him. His dad said, son, come on, man, let's go rejoice. Your, your brother's home. You think he'd be excited that his, dad, that his brother came home. But no, he's all upset because he said, you never threw me a party. Why did his dad never throw him a party? Because he didn't ask. It was available. He said, man, it's here for you all the time. You could have had a party any time. You never asked. Spiritual law, you have not from God because you ask not. <clears throat> God doesn't just give it to you. You got to ask in faith, knowing it's yours. And guess what God says? I'll throw you the party. Amen. And that's what he told his son. He said, you could have had a party any time, man. You could have done this any time. Why? You're my son. You're my son. It ain't because of how you've worked for me all these years and done all these things. The prodigal story is a great story about the gift of righteousness. Because you have an inheritance not because of what you have or haven't done, but because you are a son or daughter of God. Any better amens than that. Second Corinthians chapter 5, are you there? So let's read in verse 16 here. Notice this. Therefore, from now on, Paul said... Obviously relating to those that are born again. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Side note, the more you quit regarding each other according to the flesh and start thinking, as, uh, thinking of each other as children of God, the better you'll treat each other. Yeah, but they did this to me. Well, okay, so if it was wrong and it wasn't right and it certainly didn't come from the nature of God, that wasn't the real them that did that. Some of you really don't understand this yet. If you're born again and you get mistreated by somebody who is a believer, that wasn't really them doing it. That was their flesh doing it. Their soul took control. One, their spirit man, because their spirit man's perfect. You still here? So Paul said, listen, from now on, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh, the outer man, what you do on the outside. Even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. I haven't seen him raised from the dead. 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, raise your hand, that be you. If you're in Christ, guess what? You are a new creation. 
You're a brand new creation, new spirit, new being. Old things have passed away. Old spirit man's gone. Glory to God. And behold, all things have become new. Now, that statement doesn't mean every part of you became new. Your soul's got to be renewed. Your body's got to present, be presented to God as a living sacrifice so you quit doing dumb stuff and hurt your life. Amen. Right? But you're not a body, you're a spirit. The phrase here in the Greek language is very powerful. It says, you're a new creation, something that never existed before on the inside. The old one that existed is gone. Therefore, a new way of living has come. A new way of living has come. Behold, all things have become new. That phrase is, a new way of living has come. Why did you get born again? To live a new life. Not to keep living the way you were. If you're bored with church, get born again. If you're bored with church, repent. Get born again. Get excited about God. Learn that living a new life as a believer is an exciting way to live. If you didn't want to live a new life, why'd you get born again? Because the goal wasn't keep living like you always have, thinking like you always have. You get to start living like God lives. You get to start thinking like God thinks. Because a disciple becomes just like his teacher. And we are to be disciples of Jesus, are we not? Watch this, verse 18. Now all things, say all things. All things are of God who has what? He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he's given us, therefore, a ministry church called the Ministry of Reconciliation. We're supposed to go let people know God's already done what's necessary to restore you back to him. All you have to do is believe it. All you got to do is turn your life over to him. Verse 19, notice, that is, God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. That means keeping a record. Notice, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What's going to send every sinner to hell? It ain't all the sins they commit. Why do they commit all those sins? It's because of the sin nature within them. What did Jesus say is going to send somebody to hell? Their rejection of Jesus Christ. Because they didn't believe in me. Verse 20, notice this. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be what? Reconciled to God. Because if you're reconciled to God, guess what happens? You're about to see it. You're going to become righteous. The moment you're reconciled, you became right. The moment you became reconciled, you became right. Verse 21, for he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Say reconciliation. So here's what I want you to get. To be reconciled means you changed your attitude about God and you therefore made an exchange with him. Once you get that. Reconciled means I changed my mind, my attitude about God, and therefore I've made an exchange with him. See, you can't get somebody to accept the work of reconciliation until they change their attitude about God. If they don't want him in their life, they haven't changed their attitude about him yet. When they change their attitude, it means they now understand what God's offering them, salvation. They understand who they are without him. They change their attitude. I want what God has for me. The day you got born again, you changed your attitude about God. In the sense of knowing I can now receive him and I can do what? Become brand new. And therefore, in changing my attitude towards God to want to receive him, guess what happened? The second part of that happened. You, you gave, there was an exchange. Guess what you exchanged? The old dead nature for a brand new spirit. He who knew no sin, he had not sinned. What did he do? He became what we were. So we could become what he is. The great exchange. That's reconciliation. Reconciliation means I've got a change of attitude. So I've now made this exchange with God. I've accepted what he became me. So I could change and become what he is. By getting born again. Amen. And the moment you do, what do you do? You now become right with God. You have now accepted his gift of righteousness he's offered to you. And you have now become the righteousness of God. In essence, you're now right with him. And because you are, you have a right to all that God has for you. So again, he made him who knew no sin to be what? Sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It would be like I would do it, but I'd have to unhook my mic and all that stuff. If I had Joshua come up here and stand up here. Well, come here, Joshua. I can do it anyway. Come up here. Come up here, Merrick. Come on, help me preach. Praise God. Come stand up here real quick. Joshua, stand here. Face that direction. Merrick, you stand over here. And face Joshua. All right? So let's say this is the great exchange, right? 
Joshua, uh, Joshua represents what the Lord has done for us. Merrick represents basically what would be a sinner. Now, I know you're not exactly alike, but you're pretty close. We're going to try this, all right? And you don't have to put like all the way on if you can't fit it. Here's what we're going to do. Take your jackets off. So, huh? Not a good idea. Why? No. What's wrong? Okay. Hey, bring somebody else up here real quick. I know why. Go sit down. Uh, who else can I bring up here? Come here, Don. Hurry, man. Praise God. Come on up here. Thank you, Jesus. So he's going to take his jacket off. Don's going to represent what is the Lord stand here and his righteousness. So Don's going to become what he was, sin, and he's going to become what Don. Take your jacket off for me for just a second. Praise the Lord. All right. Put that jacket on. How about we just do this? This is called reconciliation. He had a change of mind saying, I want what you got for me. And I want to get rid of this old nature. So what I do is I take off my old nature, the old sin nature that you bore for me. And Jesus became that. And then Jesus takes his righteousness... Come on, his gift of righteousness, and he puts it on us. And the minute he puts it on us, guess what? From that day forward, we're right with God. Because we no longer have the sin nature. It's gone. Jesus took that, and he gave us what? His righteousness. It's a little big for you, man. You did not look too bad in it, though. Thank you. Give him a good hand. Praise God. I want you to have a picture in your mind. That when you came to Jesus and accepted reconciliation, you changed your mind about what Jesus was offering. Because up until that time, there's a reason why you didn't accept it. Now you've changed your mind. I want what you have. And it's you taking off that old sin nature within. Jesus became sin who knew no sin. And he gave us his righteousness. Back to the prodigal story. When he came home, what was the first thing they did? Put on him a robe. Come on, put that new robe on him. Amen? Amen. So you and I have already been robed in God's righteousness. That's ours by birth. Therefore, because I now have on that robe of righteousness, what does that mean, Pastor? I have a right to everything God has provided for me through Jesus. Romans chapter 5. Just back up to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. If you're curious about something with Joshua, he's one of our security guys, so that's why we didn't take his jacket off. Romans chapter 5. Go to Romans chapter 5. You're well cared for in this church, I'll assure you. Romans chapter 5. Turn there, Romans chapter 5. So I want you to remember this. I have had with Jesus an exchange made. Already happened. Well, I don't feel like it. It ain't based on how you feel. It's based on what the Bible says and what happened in your spirit man. Your spirit man knows it. If you listen to your spirit, you know it. And so because of this exchange, I have now received the Lord's righteousness. Jehovah Sidkenu. You listening? He's my righteousness. And I've now received that righteousness. And you're going to see it's an actual gift again, not something you could earn. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. You there? Romans 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and death came as a result of that sin, thus death did what? Spread to all men. Because all what? All sin. All were affected by that sin nature. Verse 13, you're going to hear this over and over and over again. Listen. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death did what? Death reigned. Say death reigned. So death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Don't get confused about verse 14. It's simply saying, how many know the law came to Moses? Who gave the law? God did. Who did he give it to? Some of you need to go back to your Bible. Who gave the law? God did. Who did he give it to? Moses. Ten commandments, right? What were they for? What were the, Romans 3.10, what, what were the Ten Commandments for? They reveal that you have a sin nature. See, how many people say, well, I'm good enough to go to heaven. Let's find out. Because if you're going by your standard, I wouldn't trust in that. But we go by God's standard to find out how good you are. We'll find out whether you really are going or not. Right? God's standard. You ever told a lie? Raise your hand if you ever told a lie. Well, guess what that makes you? A liar. A liar. Why? Sin nature. The Ten Commandments, the Bible says, was a tutor... To show us why we needed a Savior. None of us are good enough. Right? So what verse 14 here is saying is, between Adam and Moses, there was no law. 
There were no Ten Commandments, but death still reigned. Why? Because sin had been committed and opened the door for Satan. So death was still reigning through all of that. And then when the law came, guess what? The law didn't erase the death. It just amplified the very fact that you have a sin nature and therefore death is still functioning in this earth. Verse 15, but Jesus did something about it. But the free gift, say the free gift. Circle, highlight, and underline that phrase. The free gift, the free gift, the free gift. Don't get mad at your spouse now if they say, you know, honey, remember what? Don't say what pastor just said. The Bible says it. Let's not be telling our kids that they're going to get a gift if they're good. Right? Which, by the way, I don't know about you. My parents would threaten that. And even if we did wrong, we still got the gifts anyway. (laughs) Understand, a gift is not something you earn. That is so critical for us to get a revelation of. Because if I've got this gift he's talking about, which he's about to reveal to you, what that gift is, then guess what? I can't earn what he's talking about in relationship to that gift. I already have it. The free gift. Say the free gift. The free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense, what happened? Many died. Much more by the grace of God and the gift And the gift, we're going to find out about that gift in a minute. And the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, it abounded to what? Many. It abounded to many. This one man, Adam, sinned. He brought death upon the whole world. But one man named Jesus died and took our place. And he now brought what? He now brought a free gift to the whole world. Not one you could earn, one that's freely yours. 16, and the gift. Keeps talking about this gift. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Why? Because the judgment which came from the one offense, Adam's sin, resulted in what? What did it result in? So I mean, remember this when Jesus was actually at a time in his life that he had a woman caught in adultery brought to him by all these legalistic Pharisees and people of the law, right? They bring this woman and they put him at her feet, at his feet, put her at his feet, and they say, hey, the law says... Whoever's committed adultery, throw the first stone. First of all, how do you know she committed adultery? Your window peekers or one of you slept with her. Right? You wouldn't know that you actually know she committed the act without what? Without having been a window peeker. Or you were one of the ones that slept with her. Don't you love Jesus? That was really weak. Don't you love Jesus? I hope you do. He stoops down, not like, you know, he stoops down, he starts writing in the ground. I think he's just messing with their minds at first, you know. We, we can speculate, but if the Bible wants you to know what he wrote in the ground, it'll tell you. I don't think necessarily he wrote anything. He's just sitting there hearing from the Father. What do you want me to say here, Father? Because I say nothing except what I So I'm taking a moment to hear from the Father. Then I hear what the Father says, and I stand up. Okay, whichever you is without sin, throw the first stone. Well, they can't because they've all sinned. Now, obviously, a lot of young people think they're smarter than old people, but how many remember it said there that they all dropped their stones, remember? From what? Oldest to the, the oldest already knew, I'm a sinner, younger, like, yeah, I'm pretty good. After a while, they eventually realized, dropped their stone, and they all walked away. Now, I love what Jesus did. Say, true love. This is what true love does. Jesus then looked at her, and he said, where's your accusers? Where's your what? What's Satan working on all the time? Trying to accuse us of not being right with God. Where's your accusers? Well, Jesus didn't come to accuse us. Right? She said, well, they're, they're gone, my Lord. They're not here. He said, well, listen, I don't condemn you either. What did he just say? The gift that we got was not like the one that brought condemnation. Righteousness is not to condemn you. It liberates you from condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is because you're guilty, guess what? You deserve to be punished. Look it up for yourself. It doesn't mean to make people feel guilty. If you're a believer and you're born again and you sin, guess what your heart's going to do? It's going to make you feel guilty because you know you've done wrong. That's a good thing. The Bible even teaches you it will do that. Condemnation, though, means I judge you wrong and therefore deserving of punishment. Another way we'd say that is you're going to hell. You don't know that. No one knows the heart of a man except the man himself. You don't know if they won't give their life to Jesus. Right? So I love this. Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. In other words, I didn't come here to cause you to be penalized for your sin. I came to liberate you from it. 
I came to bear the penalty for your sin. Who bore the very wrath of God on the cross for us? Jesus did. He didn't just bear our sin. He bore the punishment our sin deserved. Thank you, Jesus. Nobody who knows Jesus personally is going to face the punishment that our sin deserved. Because Jesus didn't just take your sin. He took the punishment our sin deserved. So in bearing that punishment and telling her, I don't condemn you either. He said, I didn't come to punish you, darling. It's not what I came to do. I came to get you out of this. Aren't you glad? Notice his last words. Go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. If you keep doing this, you're opening the door for Satan to ransack your life. God's not punishing you when you sin, folks. Study the word. God's not punishing you in this time of life because you've sinned as a believer. If he does, the work of propitiation is null and void. But Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. Meaning what? He bore the wrath of God for us so we won't have to face it. If you're a child of God, God cannot punish you in this time frame for sin. Because if he did, then his son bore it in vain. You ought to be happy about that. That ought to put a smile on your face. So that's what he told her. I didn't come here to punish you. I came here to liberate you from your sin. But don't keep going and sinning. Because all you're going to do is make things worse for your life. God's not doing it to you. You're doing it to yourself. You still here? That's true love. Say true love. See, true love doesn't go condemn sinners for their sin. You listening? But true love doesn't say, well, I'm not going to talk about your sin because you're going to say I'm condemning you. Well, Jesus did. Why? Because he don't want you to keep doing something that's going to hurt your life. Back to our Galatians 6 verse from our offering time. Remember we said, God's not mocked whatever a man sows. You reap to, you know, you, you give to the flesh and reap in, uh, give in to sin, you're going to reap the results of that sin. God's not doing it. So understand this, though. This is powerful. I want you to see it again. Look very carefully what he said here. Verse 14, he's just simply talking about the very fact that the aspect of what happened with Adam and Jesus is different. And verse 15 talks about the very fact we have a gift coming to us from Jesus. 16 again brings up that gift again. This gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. Judgment came from that which resulted in condemnation. That's not what Jesus came to do. Watch. But the free gift which you want came, the free gift which came from many offenses all of what man did in the relationship to his sins because of that sin nature, it has now resulted in what? Justification. When Jesus bore all our sins, right? He became sin who knew no sin because of all of our sins, took on that sin nature. He provided us what? Justification. And justification simply means what? I have been declared right with God. Who declares it? You don't. God did. I said God did. If you're born again and you know it, turn your neighbor and say, God declared me right with him. So don't worry whether they think you're right with God or not. Their word doesn't matter. God's does. And God said, I've given you a gift called righteousness. And because of that, you're now justified, declared right in my sight. Because of what my son did. 17, watch. For if by one man's offense, Adam sinned again, death clearly reigned through the one. Much more, say much more. Not a little more. We don't serve a little more God. We serve a much more God. He'll always outdo the devil if you let him. Watch. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace, that's salvation. That's salvation. That's God free favor given to us of something we didn't deserve called salvation. What comes with it? And he now tells you what the gift was. The gift of righteousness. All along he kept talking about this gift. And this is the gift. Who has received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Notice this. They will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What did he say about Jesus back there in Jeremiah? There's coming a king. Come on. Called the king of righteousness who will what? Reign. How's he going to reign? Through us. By us understanding who we are. Satan won't reign over our life anymore. And we're going to reign in life. Come on. Through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to read the rest of these verses and come back. 19. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam sinned, many were made sinners. So also by one man's, underline this, not yours, by one man's obedience, many will be made what? How do I get made righteous? By one man's obedience. One man's obedience. I couldn't do anything to make myself more right with God if I tried. 
I go to churches all the time. When I share on this, I say, don't, don't raise your hand. Tell your neighbor, don't raise your hand right now. I go to other churches, I say, hey, how many are trying to get right with God? Hands go up everywhere. I said, you're actually trying to do something that's impossible. Because you can't become more right with God than getting born again. You received a gift called righteousness, which made you right with God. Now, you might still be flesh ruled, which ain't right, but you are still right with God because you're a spirit, not a body. You're not a soul, and you've been made right with God. Amen? So again, notice this clearly in verse 19, by one man's obedience, say one man. By one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, so that'd be me. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered, Ten Commandments. Notice the law entered that offense might abound. In other words, that you would know that you have violated what was clearly God's law, revealing the sin nature. But look at this, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, guess what abounded much more? Grace Grace did, meaning what? There's enough grace to cover all your sin. There's enough grace to cover all your sin. Through salvation. 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign now through what? Righteousness to what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace means heaven's help. We have heaven's help. You know why we have heaven's help? I'm going to tell you why. Because you're right with God. You could get heaven's help in the context as a son or daughter unless you're born again. But you're born again. God wants to help you. Can I get a better amen? So I want you to see this. Go back with me, please. For just a moment to verse 17. This is the key verse we want to key in on. Watch this. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Here's the phrase I want you to get. Watch. They will what? Reign in life. Why do we have this gift of righteousness? So we can reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You being made right with God. Remember what it said over there in Jeremiah again. There will come a king who will reign and prosper. He didn't do that for him. He didn't need that for him. He came as the king of righteousness to give you right standing with God so you could reign through the one Jesus Christ. God doesn't intend for you to have anything of this world reign over you. You're supposed to be reigning in this life through Jesus. Wait a minute. But see, this is where I've actually misquoted this phrase. Forgive me for doing so because when it says reign in this life, we're not talking about the life you're living. The word life there is zoe. It's God's life. It's the God kind of life. Listen to this phrase. You'll reign in this zoe life God has for you. That's the phrase. It doesn't mean you'll reign in this life you live. Because guess what? There's believers who ain't reigning in this life they're living. How do I reign in the context of what God has for me as a believer, pastor? You reign in zoe life. When you're walking in zoe life, guess what you're doing? You're reigning. When you're living life the way God has it assigned, assigned and planned and set up for you, you're not being reigned over. You're reigning. Amen. How are you doing it? Through Jesus Christ. So how do I walk in this Zoe life? Through Jesus Christ. Say it. Through Jesus Christ. How do I walk in life as God has it? Through Jesus Christ. Well, how do I do that? There's only one way. There's only one way. There's only one way you can walk in context of reigning through, in, in the Zoe life through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you how. How many would like to see that? Colossians 2. That's three of you. I'm going to help you three. Turn to Colossians 2. The rest can just take a nap here for a few more minutes and we'll be done. Colossians 2. Am I helping you at all today? Colossians chapter 2. So this Jehovah Sid canoe, the Lord our righteousness, has been fulfilled in Christ. This king will come, Jeremiah said, to reign. And he will be known as the king of righteousness. Because he's going to have an exchange take place. He's going to become sin, who didn't know sin, so we could become the righteousness of God. Now, why does it say so we could become the righteousness of God? Because until you're reconciled to God, remember the whole context there? He's talking about we have a ministry now called the ministry of reconciliation. So how do I become the righteousness of God? Get reconciled to God. And you do that by receiving Jesus as your Savior. An exchange takes place, and now guess what? You've become righteous. You're not going to. Don't take that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, that we might become the righteousness of God. Well, I'm becoming the righteousness of God. No, once you're reconciled, you're righteous. Romans 5 just said so. He said he gives you this free gift. If you've received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, right? And God's not like us. He don't give a gift and say, sorry, you're not living right. I'm taking my gift back. Nope, you got it whether you live right or not. 
but realize you and I can walk in the rulership of this Zoe life God wants us to walk in. Guess what? Ruling over COVID or any other plague that comes down. Ruling over, ruling over any disease, any sickness, any aspect of what Jesus died and purchased for you to be liberated from. This whole redemption of us, of what we have in these seven keys. Right? Did he not say that he is our banner of victory? Then how could you not win victory in this life over your enemies? Not physical, spiritual. Because of what Jesus already did. You can. You can win any victory. But I only am going to reign in life how? Through one, Jesus Christ. Through what? Through one, it said. Through, you're not going to reign through your pastor. You're not going to reign in Zoe life through your pastor. Meaning what? Can't put your faith in me. You're not going to do it by putting your faith in somebody else. You're going to do it by putting your faith in one person alone, Jesus Christ. See, how do I reign? Through the one. Through the one, Jesus Christ. Through what he did. Colossians tells you this. You with me still? Colossians 2.5. Watch this. Don't know if I'm helping you, but it preached me happy already. And hungry. Praise God. Colossians 2.5. For though I am absent, Paul said, though I'm absent in the flesh, not there physically at the time writing this letter, yet, watch this, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, and the underline it, steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it. Make a note of it. That's how you reign in life. That's how you reign in Zoe. That's how you get to reign in the Zoe life God has for you. How do you do it? By a steadfastness of faith in Christ. Not just faith in Christ. Steadfastness in faith. Steadfast in faith. Meaning what? I don't just use faith to get something I need. I'm not being steadfast in faith. I need to be using faith every day in all that I do to walk in the light of what God has for my life. If I'm only doing it when I have a need, well, now I got a need, so I got to get in faith and believe God for that. Then you're not what? You're not reigning in life. You're not reigning in Zoe because you're not living life as God has it. I have a question for you. Is your God a faith God? Does your God live by faith? Did Jesus live by faith? What is Zoe life? Living life the way... God has it. Guess what God wants you to do? Live a life of faith. The just shall now live by faith. Not go in and out. Not jump in faith when they need something, then jump out and go back doing things the natural. No, he said, I want you to live a life of faith. The just shall live by faith. Amen. So that's a whole other teaching in itself. I want you to get this. Listen carefully. So he said that he's rejoicing in the context of the church in Colossae because he said, I'm so excited to see your, your order, your good order, and guess what? The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Why would that excite somebody like Paul? Why would it excite somebody like your pastor to see you living by faith? You know what would excite me about that? I'm watching you walk in life as God has it, and guess what? Things aren't ruling over you. You're ruling over them. You're walking in the victory Jesus died and paid for. See, if I can't help you do that, now I can't make you do that. I can't make you do what the Bible says. Right? James is clear, man. A doer of the word is blessed. Well, I'm already blessed. I heard this recently from a famous minister. You're already blessed. Spiritually true. Absolutely true. But why did James says if you're a doer of the word, you'll be blessed in what you do? Because you've got to learn to do things God's way now. Based on what Jesus accomplished for us. Thank you for all your men. See, I know about you. I didn't walk by faith with God before I got born again. I didn't have a measure of faith, although you could put faith in God because people did with Jesus. But I didn't know how to walk by faith. How about you? I've had to learn how. I've had to learn what the Bible says about it. Sadly, a lot of Christians still don't. It's a part of a primary purpose of our church. Christian faith fellowship. Our vision. We're here to help you become a Christ follower. Look like him, sound like him, act like him, live like him, think like him, walk like him. And you do that by faith, true God faith. What is the God kind of faith? Because a lot of people say they're walking in faith. Then listen to their words. They're nowhere near walking by faith than the man in the moon is. Whoever the man in the moon is. Who is this man in the moon anyway? So once you get this, this is powerful. Listen carefully. Verse 6, you're still with me, aren't you? As you therefore, listen to this. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, underline it, so walk in him. How did you receive him? By faith. You received him by faith. How did I get born again? Oh, come on, man. Help me preach real quick. I'm running out of time. How did I get born again? I didn't say, well, God, I think I'm good enough now. I think I've got enough stuff straightened out in my life that you would accept me now and I could receive salvation. No. I said, you would accept me? 
You would receive me? You want relationship with me? Even though I've sinned, even though I've done wrong, but I see in the word and through the preaching of Coy Huffman that you offer this gift of relationship by just simply accepting Christ, by accepting what he did, putting my faith in his death on the cross, putting his, my faith in his burial, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Man, I believe it. And I want that relationship. I put my faith in you. That's how you fulfilled what he said here. Listen carefully. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How would you receive him? It wasn't based on anything you did. So why do you think once getting born again, anything you have a right to, you're going to get differently? You're not. You're not going to get it differently. Do you realize there are people who have faith for healing, have faith for God's promises, but they condemn themselves because of things they've done. They've allowed the enemy to lie to them, make them feel like they don't deserve it, that they don't have a right to it, and therefore he deceives them from what's rightfully theirs. And he robs them of it because they don't understand that. I don't get it. I didn't get salvation because of what I have done or not done. How about you? Why are you going to get anything else from God that way? You're not. Listen carefully. This is a powerful verse. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus Lord, so what? Walk in Him. Walk in Him. How are we going to reign in Zoe life? Through the One. Through the One. What the One did. What the One did. Not what we did. What the One did. What He did to make me right is what my faith is in to get received all that I have a right to. Notice this. Verse 7. Rooted. This is how you get there. Rooted and what? Built up in him. Listen, and underline it, established in the faith. So you have to establish yourself in a walk of faith in what Christ did. You've got to learn that. You've got to learn how that works. Because if you don't, here's what you do. You try to get in faith to get something fixed in your life. But then if it does or doesn't get fixed, if it doesn't, then we blame God. I thought the faith stuff really worked and it didn't. I tried. It didn't work. And most of us don't realize we're still not really relying totally on him. We're kind of relying on us in there. Number two, or then we walk away and we just go back to living life like we always have. No, 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 no. The same way you receive Christ Jesus, you're supposed to what? Walk in him every day. Hallelujah. And that means any challenge I face, I don't ever face any challenge and start speaking in line with what my circumstances say, do I? Do I? What does faith do? It goes based on what God said about it, not what my circumstances say. Remember Abraham? Abraham, our father in the faith? He did not consider his own body already dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. So meaning what? It was a reality, but he didn't go by that. What did he go by? What God said. I've made you a father of a multitude. So what did Abraham's words line up with what God said? I'm father of a multitude. He didn't have a child yet. Come on, Romans 4 tells you, God who calls those things that be not as though they were. God is a faith God. God sees things in the natural. He calls things that aren't already that way in the natural as if they already were that way based on his own word. And that's how God operates. That's how you're supposed to operate. It's a law. So notice this. You got to be rooted and built up in him. Say relationship. That's what that's all about. And you got to therefore be a what? established in a life of faith. As you've been taught abounding, abounding in it with what? Thanksgiving. Because what's the key to faith? Thanksgiving. If I believed I received, guess what I do? I start thanking God. If, if somebody blessed me with something that I've been blessed with, I start thanking them. Well, if I know God's already blessed me with what he's promised, guess what? I don't wait for it to show up. I start thanking God. I already got it. That's what faith does. But listen to this. We're going to come back to this in our study tonight on Last Day's Survival Guide. We're going to come back to this verse here. Beware lest anyone cheat you through what? Philosophy and empty deceit according to what? Tradition of men and the basic principles of the world and not according to what? Not according to Christ. Because in him, in Jesus dwells what? All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hey, and you are complete. Everything you need, come on, it's in Him. You are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Meaning what? I got all that I need available to me in this life in Christ Jesus. Through what He accomplished. Through what He provided, what He gave us. Our redemption. Can I get a better amen? Now I got to close, but I need to touch on this verse 8 real quick. Beware. Say beware. Tonight we're going to talk about bewaring of seducing and deceiving works of Satan. In our study on last day's survival guide. You got to beware lest what anyone cheat you. 
cheat you, rob you of what? Of what you have available. How? Through philosophy and empty deceit. What is philosophy? He tells you. Notice this. According to the tradition of men. What's philosophy? Traditions of man. Philosophy is nothing more than what man says. Well, this is our opinion. Okay, fine. But did God say that? Because if God didn't say that, I'm not going by your opinion. I'm going by what God said. You listening? Well, God doesn't heal today. Oh, really? Okay. Did God say that? Did God say he doesn't heal today? Did God say healing is not for everybody today? He never said that. Man does. Help me preach somebody. You're going to make me go to overtime here and you're not going to like it. I'm going to go. Listen, God never said, God never said healing's passed away, did he? But you know, a lot of men do. What is that called? That's called the philosophy of men. That is called the philosophy of men, which is a tradition that they've held for years. Well, God doesn't heal everybody because if he did, how come my aunt so-and-so didn't get healed? Your aunt so-and-so not getting healed doesn't mean God doesn't heal everybody. Because the Bible didn't say, well, God heals everybody but your aunt so-and-so. Didn't say that. Healing's for everybody. I said, aren't you glad? So realize we don't go by the traditions of men, religious systems that have been built up over time, of which clearly God did not say. How many know we just need to go by what God said? Tell me, neighbor, go by what God said. You'll be better off. So don't, don't let somebody teach you through this philosophy, traditions of men. Watch, nor empty deceit. What's empty deceit? Look at the second part, basic principles of the world. So the principles of the world are designed by who? Satan. And those principles are what? They're empty. They promise you everything. And guess what? They eventually take from you all that you have. Now, Satan's smart enough to know, i got to entice you with like a carrot, you know, get you coming the right direction and making you think you're going to get everything, man, you've ever wanted in life. But guess what? The end result, going Satan's way, ain't good. You start compromising your walk with God, it's going to hurt your faith. Doesn't mean you earn anything. You can't earn anything. I said you cannot earn anything. But if I'm going to walk contrary to God's word, you really think you're going to walk by faith, walking contrary to God's word? No. I'm walking in line with the Bible to walk by faith. Isn't that right? God shows up to Noah in a time of judgment in his day. What did God tell Noah? What did God tell Noah? So we need to go back to kids' church. What did God tell Noah? Build an ark. Build an ark. What did Noah do? Did what God told him. And guess what Hebrews 11 calls it? Faith. Faith. Why am I going to build an ark? Because I told you. And guess what? You're going to get the benefit of it. When it's built, you're going to get the benefit of the promise that I have available for you. Hallelujah. Abraham, get away from your family. Come on out to the desert, follow me, and I'm going to make you, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm going to make, we're still under that same covenant, by the way, I'm going to make you an heir of mine. Right? What did Abraham do? Followed God out into the desert, and the Bible called it faith. And then he had no problem believing God even to offer up his own son Isaac, knowing God sees and he'll provide. So I'm telling you folks, listen to me, last thing, I got to close on this. Understand you got to beware of anybody that's trying to convince you that you can't get what's available to you because of somebody, something said that God didn't say. Traditions of man. Right? Just because somebody said it don't mean God said it. You better find out what God said. Put your faith in what God said. Right? And don't go by the basic principles of the world promising you everything that again goes contrary to what God said you're to do to put faith in Jesus Christ. But everything I have a right to is based on what? The gift of righteousness. And because of it, I have nothing to do with earning any of it. It's all based on one man. And every promise God has, I can get by simply putting faith in that Jesus already purchased it for me. Now, there's a whole other story on that, right? You got to walk by faith. You got to learn like he said. He said, I'm applauding you Colossians because you've learned since being born again how to be steadfast in your faith. You know what that means? You live faith every day. You do it day in and day out. Faith does what? Three basic things. It believes what God says in the heart. It speaks with the mouth and it acts upon it. How long do I do that? All my life. I don't confess what God says once in a while. Some of you are going to love this new series I'm going to do. I don't confess what God says once in a while because I'm not doing what? I'm growing worrying and well-doing. It's a spiritual law. You don't believe it? Go read James 3 again. Your words are determining where you, this little ship, is going to go. If you don't think words are powerful, you need to understand they are. If I want to walk by faith, I need to say what he says all the time. Not what my circumstances say. I don't deny them. You know, you're going through this. Well, yeah, I'm facing this, but it's okay. Praise God. God's already given me the answer. I say what God said. See, that's what faith does. I said that's what faith does. But it also acts in line with it. 
One last little tidbit about faith. What if I don't believe it yet? You keep saying it. E.W. Kenyon. Thank you, E.W. Kenyon, great man of faith. You keep saying God's word until you start believing it. And then when you start believing it, you keep saying it. Because now you're releasing faith. Stand your feet. Praise God. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.